So the big question is this, how do real estate investors who don't have a ton of free time, don't have access to off-market deals, and didn't start life on third base? How do we conservatively grow our real estate business to support our families, finally leave the corporate rat race, and build a legacy? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Ed Matthews, and this is Real Estate Underground. Greetings and salutations, Real Estate Undergrounder. Matthews with the Real Estate Underground. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, I have a gentleman who I actually had the pleasure of being on his podcast not that long ago, uh, Jason Ballara of Lark Capital. Uh, Jason, nice to see you again, my friend. How are you doing today? I am good, and it's great to see you. Thank, thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I'm always looking to get smarter about is raising capital. Right. And I understand that in addition to your multifamily investments and your capital raising for other syndicators, I got a little bird told me that, that you also have a fund that's uh, about to come out. And I'm eager to pick your brain about that because that's something that we're looking at here at Clark Street as well. Yeah, it's it's definitely something I'm very excited about. I think for a couple of reasons in, in terms of capital raising, it's interesting people when you think of the fund, it. it I think outwardly people think that's it's strictly for capital raisers because you're going to, a lot of people think of it as maybe the fund to fund model. My fund, I, I think, what's that? Not necessarily. And that's the thing is that what I'm realizing as I've dug in on this is you, you pretty much can structure it however you want. And I have gotten my mind, how do I want to, do I want to do a fund? Why do I want to do a fund? And then there had to be, I, I wanted to do it, I guess, my way. And I, and so figuring out what I wanted in the fund and then figuring out that then the step, almost the second step, which maybe some people think this is backwards, but then the second step was figure out how to do it. But right. ultimately Ready it is mainly, right. <laughs> it's mainly real estate based. And some of these rules are SEC dictated in terms of the, the ratios within the fund. But the idea is, is it's going to be real estate based multifamily, but with a small component of it, we'll also invest in cash flowing businesses. So Oh, wow. My okay. kind of thought process here is, and really I, I thought of this because it's what I was going to do for my own family, my own personal portfolio. And I thought, why don't we do that for investors too? But the idea is right now, not that you can't cash flow in real estate, but it's a little bit harder. It's becoming as much of, at least in the markets that I'm investing, it's becoming as much about appreciation and tax benefits as it is at a pure cash flow play. And so I thought, okay, here we are in this market cycle, call it a recession, call it whatever you want to call it. We're in this market cycle where a lot of operators, including us, have had to pause distributions. And so people that were counting on, they're, they're looking at this from a, a passive income cash flow perspective, right. it impacts your finances, right? It has impacted my own finances because I invest in all my own deals and I invest right. in other people's deals. Right. Right. That lack of cash flow right now started to become something I was really thinking about. And so what I did first is I ramped up my own business in order to generate cash flow. And and I there's a there are a number of people and the first one that comes to mind is Cody Sanchez, but she's got a big presence online and social media and her whole thing is buying boring businesses. And I've been right. looking at that for a while now and really had it in the back burner. But then I thought, okay, if our real estate isn't cash flowing right now, what do we do? What, how do we balance that out? Sure. And so I started looking and she's, she's spot on the cash there or the boring businesses can be extremely highly cash flowing. And so my thought process was, okay, I'm going to mix the two together. And 
that's what I decided to do in the fund. And then I said, okay, I went to my SEC attorney and I was like, first of all, can I do this? Yeah. Second of all, how do I do it? What's (laughs) right? Yeah. And it's just for, if anybody's curious, you're limited to a 20% in the business components. So the ratio has to be 55% of the fund needs to be at least 55% of the fund needs to be invested in real estate on which I hold title. So my own deals, basically, where I'm a part of the GP. And then up to 20% can be in businesses. And then the in-between portion, which is 25, yeah, 25% could be fund to fund. And so there's a way to, I think, really diversify the fund in a lot of different ways here by, we'll have our own deals. We can partner with others. So I have access to deals that maybe I wouldn't see myself. I can partner with people, big, bigger operators than myself at this point. I am partnering with one of my mentors on the first deal that's going to be in the fund is a a very large deal out of Phoenix. And so in that instance, we will be fund to fund, but there's a lot of ways when it doesn't have to be exactly those ratios, right? It's just at least 55 in our own deals up to 20% in businesses. But when you look at the numbers, you can really juice the cash flow that's coming in through the fund. We can also take advantage of that diversity. There's just to me a whole lot of whole lot of different ways where it's going to benefit investors. And then probably what I'm most excited about is the impact on the back end. A lot of people don't know this, but I'm a veterinarian, veterinary surgeon. Veterinarians have one of the highest suicide rates of all professions. This most striking what's that? I didn't know that. That's awful. Yeah. One of the most striking statistics, I think, is female veterinarians are three and a half times more likely to commit suicide than the general population. So it's substantial. And because of that, there's actually an organization devoted to providing resources, mental health resources, sometimes financial resources called Not One More Vet. And so the plan is to take 25% of the profits of the fund and roll those back into donate to Not One More Vet. So that's we awesome. will really have the ability to have an impact component to this fund. So I'm, yeah. I'm very excited about it. You get to do some good and do well also. Yeah. That's amazing. Congratulations. So when you're talking about a fund like this, is there, is it like a traditional, there's a preferred rate and then the fund, you own the fund as an investor, as a limited or a general partner, and then the fund owns a business or a, a property and so that you're able to participate on an equity basis as well? Or like, how does it, how does the nuts and bolts work? Yeah. And so as a, let me, the easier part is as the fund administrator myself, I am in charge of kind of pulling the strings, deciding where the money goes. And when it comes to our own deals, I'm sourcing those deals. Uh, I'm acting as the general partner. I'm acting as the asset manager. When it comes to the fund to fund model, then what we're doing is I'm vetting other sponsors. And frankly, it's a very small list. There's about three people on it that I will invest with, but I know that the opportunities will be there with them. There's that part. And then the business is same thing. It's I'm a business owner. I understand the mechanics of running a business and it's not going to be like we're going to buy 50 businesses. It's going to be probably two to five within the fund. And again, boring businesses with in place operators. So I certainly. And not trying to create a fund where I get 10 jobs. It's really more looking at existing businesses that are already having good. And as far as modeling out returns, my expectation really is we'll model the businesses 
just on the cash flow basis right. and stack that on top of the real estate, it's I'm not even going to, at least in projections, I'm not going to look at the sale of the business. It's more going to be what cash flow has it got right now? What can we maintain with annual increases, that kind of thing? And then the sale at the end will just be gravy to investors. So right. it really, from a numbers standpoint, we can underwrite it very conservatively and still make sure that we're having good cash flow along the way. And it, it won't be necessarily dependent on the performance of one particular asset. Yeah. I love so it. that's from the, yeah, that's from my perspective, my job, the limited partners, yes, they're buying into the fund. They're buying shares of the fund. So it is a blind fund. So they won't be picking which investments they're in. They're putting their trust in me and Lark Capital and what we're about. And so the idea is that we can provide a, a, what I think will be a great um, preferred return with plenty of room for upside on top of that. And they still get to participate in the tax benefits, all of the same stuff you would on a per deal basis on sort of your standard syndication you get through a fund. Excellent. And carried interest, which is a beautiful thing. As long as it's yep, still, exactly. it still survives. So far, so right. Okay. And I'm curious when you talk about boring businesses, right? And I'm a mm -hmm. fan of Cody's as well. I follow her on Twitter and I've been intrigued by the business model. When you look at, at boring businesses, I think plumbing businesses, cleaning businesses, and I'm curious, laundromats, what kind of businesses are you thinking of when you're talking about that kind of asset? S similar. You can think about the construction world. And, and to be honest with you, the construction world was where I thought I would go with this because I've been doing construction since I was a teenager. So, yeah. so the idea of buying construction businesses makes a lot of sense to me. I can also, in theory, use them in my <laughs> value right. at a part, uh, right. investing. Right. However, the, the one thing that I see as... An, if it's already, you really have to look at the numbers here, but the problem is construction businesses can be pretty upfront cash heavy. So you've got to buy materials to get a job done. So if you have a well-run construction business where you're ahead of the game, your cash flow is ahead of the game. So you can buy those materials without strapping yourself and being cash poor during each project, then great. If you see the opportunity to turn a business into that type of model, then great. But unfortunately, a lot of construction businesses are almost on a job to job basis, right? So they essentially can't afford to buy the supplies for the next job until they get paid for the one that they, for the last one, are currently working on. So it's, that's how it currently exists. Now it doesn't say that that, that potentially means there are opportunities to go into a construction business and flip that model around. But like I said, initially construction businesses is what I really thought would be the way to go. However, as you mentioned, laundromats is another good one. Cleaning businesses, things with low overhead, I would add to that list, car washes, surprisingly to me, but maybe not to other people, nail salons or beauty salons oh, really? tend to be extremely high cash flowing, which I was shocked by. So I spoke with a business broker. He's <laughs> yeah, exactly like he, we, he's, we have this nail salon that we're selling, if it'd be some, and I initially scoffed at it. I was like, nail salon, what am I going to do with a nail salon? But then I looked at the numbers and I was like, yes, nail salons are the way to go. And it makes sense in the, if you look at it from a, from an overhead perspective, once you've done the initial investment of having a nice experience when people come in to get whatever nail salon, I don't even know, I, manicures, pedicures, whatever happens in a nail salon. My wife knows these things, but yeah. you, when you 
create that experience now in terms of supplies and things like that, it's, it's actually pretty inexpensive and you can, sure. the employees can be paid on a, essentially on a production model where it's 1099 and they get a, a portion or the, the business gets a portion of whatever revenue they bring in. So the, it, it can be structured very beneficially to have a pretty high cash flowing component to it. That was one that, that, you know, and so I started looking in that space, the sort of aesthetics and beauty space and like almost everything in that space, cash flows high there, there's med spas, things like that. And I was, so certainly those are on the list. We talk about boring businesses. They're not boring to the people using them. And I don't think that's necessarily what, what Cody means when she refers to it that way. I think she means boring in the sense that it's fairly easy to manage, right? Really is what it comes down to. Not so much like it's not a, she's not advocating for buying the next Uber or something like that. Like she's talking about in place, already cash flowing. Like you make a few tweaks to modernize it and then just be happy that complexity that money keeps gotcha. rolling in the door. Yeah. Okay. I could talk about this because I am fascinated. And I'm going to have to part of start paying more attention to Cody and, and I'm certainly going to be paying close attention to your bund, but this podcast is called the real estate underground. So now I get to pick your brain. Sure. So in terms of the, the 55% that's going to target, we'll get to the fund, yeah. fund part, but as yep. far as the, the properties that you're going to target, is it a direct acquisition and operation of the properties or are you lending money to other investors to then like a hard money situation where your, your, your pref is seven, eight, 9% and you're loaning out for three points up front and 12%. And then the arbitrage goes back into the fund. Is it like that? Or are you buying directly? You directly no, we're looking, properties? looking for direct acquisition and, okay. and it, and actually that's required as part of that 55%. So I ha- have to be on title essentially to uh, satisfy the SEC requirements. So they, they really truly have to be a part of, I have to be a part of that general partnership. Now, I don't have to be the majority stake in that general partnership. I can be bringing capital and helping with asset management where someone else maybe did the acquisition. So it doesn't necessarily have to be me start to finish doing everything. This is still very much a team sport, but there are certain requirements. Even if you look at the business side, some businesses come with real estate. So in theory, those ones that come with real estate also satisfy that requirement on the 55%. So sure, it's, and again, it, we're, this fund is really meant to be opportunistic. So it may be that we don't do a whole lot of fund to fund because we found a bunch of deals ourselves or we got right, to right. You know partner with people, be on the general partnership. But the idea is there, there are minimums set up by the, and, and with good reason, it makes sense. And you yeah. want truth and advertising real estate and you want real estate or I want real estate to be the foundation of this. I think that is in terms of long-term wealth, the appreciation and the tax benefits that you're going to get are going to offset that cash flow that's coming right. through these businesses. Right. So right. there's some real benefits to mixing the two, but yeah, real estate is certainly the foundation. Yeah. And so when you're looking at real estate, like with the business, it, it's interesting that you're very, fo- like me, you are very focused on cash flow. I love the idea on the business side, business acquisition side, that you're not necessarily paying close attention to appreciation opportunities. That's the cherry on top. On the right. real estate side, I'm curious how you view the mix in terms of your focus with regard to cash flow versus appreciation and what you're looking for in those properties. Yeah. 
That's a great question. And I think the, the answer to that question has probably changed, at least for me, it's changed in some ways. It has also probably changed for a lot of people just based on where we are in, are in the market cycle. So a couple of things are going to be driven by the debt market, right? We're not going to get the same leverage that we were getting even a year ago when we go to, to acquire something. So our leverage is going to be much lower, which in turn actually pushes up the cash flow produced by the property in theory. But it also means, in theory, there's more equity going into the deal. And so you may have, um, in theory, again, lower returns because there's more equity within the deal. But all of this is hypothetical on paper numbers. And so you really look at this from, it's I want it to cash flow, that's great, but it's probably on the real estate side, but it's probably not my number one focus. My number one focus is going to be the overall return on those deals in the three to seven year hold time. To me, that's the most important thing. Now, there are certainly cash flow focused investors, right? If you're, I don't know, maybe you're retirement age and you want to be in real estate, but you have to live off that income, cash flow is going to be really important. And I think that's where the, we're bringing the businesses into this fund really, really make it beneficial all around. And so The idea on the real estate is let's find something that ultimately at the end of the day is going to end up as the best returns overall for our investors. And that's likely means we're able to appreciate a lot. It's a value add play, that kind of thing. But we'll be really looking at everything, the debt structure, the the, certainly the length of hold time. What is the opportunity within that deal and playing, seeing how it all plays together, especially within the fund. How is that all going to play together with the rest of it? How is this particular real estate deal going to fit with the deal that's a fund-to-fund model that's going to fit with the, the businesses? I'm, I'm actually having, it should be about that, I'm having a essentially custom-made underwriting model for this so that I can easily model out exactly how it's going to go, or not exactly how it's going to go, but how we project it to go, right. and be able to show that to investors and what components are contributing where. So they'll be able to get a swath of information around across the various businesses that the fund has is involved in. They'll be able to see cash flow in terms of like pillars, for instance, of over here, we're seeing an 18% return over here. We're seeing a 2% return net. That's 10%. And life is hypothetically, I mean, that I know that math is real, but that's really good. That's brilliant. Okay. I'm not going to put you on the spot, but I'm dying to know who the three sponsors that you would do business with. But I'll ask you offline. You mentioned I mean, there's I'll, only three. You I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you if you, I, I think it's a really, people have to be, I, I think partnerships in this business are one of the top two most important things, if not the most important thing, because you are not likely to do syndication by yourself. And no. so unless you already have a large company, but even the people that have large companies are still partnering with others so within their businesses right? and with the, within their investments. But to me, uh, there, there's a funny thing about, and I talked about this with, I've talked about this with people on my podcast. There's a funny thing where people talk about their mentors as if there's something, someone hypothetical, right? They're like, right. oh, I did a mentorship and, and they n- never mention names. And I'm very proud of my mentors. And so the people I would do that I would invest with is Ellie Perlman. She's, she was one of my mentors. And Jay Scott and Ashley Wilson, they are also my mentors. And it, the reason is because I have a very firsthand look at how they run their businesses and how right. 
the expectations within their deals. So if I'm going to put my investor's capital into a deal, it's going to be with someone that I trust a hundred percent that it will be handled correctly. And I invest alongside them myself. I don't, yeah, I don't have a problem telling people that's no, if if people invest in the fund, they'll, I'll tell them who it's going to be. Who yeah, it's going course, to be. So yeah, it's not a secret. And the 14 people that are listening to this podcast that you just now 15 with me, but so thank you. But it's, <laughs> I'm always interested in how people pick their partners, right? Cause it's, there's a dating process that you have to go through to, to figure out how good a fit you are, both operationally, value system wise, whatever. And then there's the marriage, right? Of, okay. When the marriage is some sort of general partnership document where we talk about, not only do we talk about here's how we're going to come together and here's what you're going to do and here's what I'm going to do. But also we're going to break up someday and it's a prenup as well. And I'm curious about your view on partnerships and not necessarily the breakup part, but the in terms of the dating, when you're evaluating a potential partner, what are some of the things that you're looking for beyond the obvious? They've got to be of high character and they have to be able to do math. Beyond right. that, I'm curious what you're looking for. Yeah, it's a great question and 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 an often I think overlooked process including by myself when you're especially when you're starting out as you just mentioned the idea is to make sure that all of your values aligned and you're you want to have complementary strengths and all this stuff like like you can google what should I look for in a real estate partner right and it'll list you off these four or five things that and it's not that they're not important, but the reality, I think, is that when people are getting started, they're so focused on, I just need to get a deal, right? I just need to figure out how to get a deal. And so people skip the dating phase and yeah, it's danger. almost like a, yeah. And I think it happens all the time. I, I, and I think you have to almost, and, and maybe the reality is that you have to do that and then you figure out what you like, because I also don't know that a lot of people starting out know what their strengths are or what roles they want to play in. And so being able to sit down with someone you just met and say, this is what you're going to do. This is what I'm going to do. It's a little bit of a learning process around each other. And I think at the end of the day, if if you're in that situation, the one thing to keep front front of mind is the most important thing is that deal to those investors. So Whatever your differences might be with your partners, whatever your problems might be with your partners, you got to figure it out and get through that deal so that your investors come out whole. That That's right. because the, if, if you let your feelings, your just disagreements, if you let that blow a deal up just right. because you couldn't handle being in that relationship, that's your fault and, and you've hurt your investors for that reason. So you've got to realize what the end goal is here. And everybody has the same end goal, whether you find out that you have alignment with those partners or not. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it even if you don't, like not aligning with someone doesn't mean that they're not a good investor or not a good real estate investor. It just sure. means that maybe you do the same thing, right? And you don't need three people on the team doing acquisitions. You don't need three people on the team doing investor relations, right? Because then people are wasting time and not doing what really needs to be done. So it's figuring those dynamics out and and they can be figured out as you go, but you got to be a real adult about it because it's sometimes hard and there's a lot of stress and money involved in this business. I think over time, you can figure that out. Now, now it's, I've been in the business for three plus years. And so now I know like future deals, future partnerships, I have a much better sense of 
what I would be looking for in a partner. I would be much better about defining specific roles, that kind of thing, because it just makes your life easier down the road. So, so much. Easier. I don't know if I really answered that question. I think it comes down. So what I heard was you need to figure out everybody's uh, highest and best use and where they can add value to the partnership. And a lot of times there's overlap because especially with smaller, somebody like me, a smaller operator who's graduating into larger projects, I've done acquisitions and the marketing to create inbound and you have the asset management piece and all that. And opinions vary on how good I am at some or all of those things. I think I'm pretty good at it. But the, but the fact is that if I come into a partnership with you and I want to be the asset manager and that's your wheelhouse, there's, we've got to figure something out. And, and that is, and like you said, it's an adult conversation, right? It's just a, okay, who's better at it? If it's Jason, that's fine. And where else can I add value? And if I can find another place where I can add equal value, then I'm a fit. If I can't, then I'm not. And that's okay. That's fine. Right. Right. I'll take my ball and go play on a different court. It's okay. No problem. But you've got to have those conversations. And like you said, I think very few people do. And I am one of those people. I've had partnerships where I adored the human being and then figured out, oh, we'll figure it out as we go. And you don't, and it's really yeah. stressful. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you can be, this is why people say, don't do business with family members. Don't do business right. with friends because these things can get hard, but you can do business with family and friends. If you can have those conversations and still say friend, like it but, just, just because it's your, someone's your best friend, it may not be a good business fit. Just be friends. Right. right? So it's just, or it could be, or it could be the greatest partnership, but yeah. you got to be able to say who's going to do what and then stay out of each other's way too. It's it, even once those things are defined, you, you got to stick by it. So it's just having the, the, the tough conversations. Yeah. I had one when I was, when we were going full-time here at, at Clark Street with my wife, who is an accountant. And one of the reasons our relationship works well is we're Personality-wise, we're very, we're basically opposites, right? I'm the creative visionary and she's an accountant where everything is, she keeps the trains running. And I had asked her, I said, I would really like it if you would join the company and we can figure out roles. And she thought about it for all about nine seconds and said, I don't think that's a good idea. I think you and I work very differently, which she, and she did it was, she did it well. She said, I, I support you and I'm excited for you, but I think you need to find someone that's a better fit for you. And I went, okay, I appreciate the candor. And the last thing she said, actually, the last thing she said was, I like you more as my husband than my business partner. So I'm going to, I'm going to pick the, the former, not the latter. That, that's cool. Yeah, that's funny. Right. And uh, yeah, knowing who you are and, and what's important to you as you go into a partnership. And this is, by the way, a human being I've known for 34 going on 35 years. So she knows me really well. Uh, and I like to think I know her well too, but, the, but the fact is that you've got to date, you've got to think through what's the highest and best use of each and every person in that business. And if there's overlap, you really need to explore whether you're staffing up correctly in terms of a partnership. Absolutely agree. One of my, one of my biggest pet peeves in almost, I was going to say in business is probably like almost, I hate inefficiency. Me too. And there's nothing more inefficient than two partners marriage, business, whatever you want to call it, focusing on the same thing, right? Even if you end up with the same result, you're just wasting someone's time. So it's really figuring out where, where time should be spent. And it's, it's not that hard to figure it out if you have the conversations. Absolutely. Yep. 
It's just a matter of having those conversations and then documenting them and then living up to it. So Jason, I'm obviously you're an accomplished person and you're obviously very smart. And so I'm curious, leaders tend to be readers, right? And so I'm, I'm curious in terms of who, how you consume information, whether that's podcasts or audio books or physical books or webinars or whatever. Uh, I'm curious how you consume information when you want to sharpen the saw, so to speak. And, and then also, I'm also curious about who you're paying attention to these days. There's a creators. Yeah. I think in terms of consuming, I, I love to listen to podcasts. I've been lately more focused on business podcasts than real estate. When I got started, I listened to like literally every real estate podcast I could get my hands on. But I think the reality is that you, as a real estate investor, you own a business. And in reality, with syndication, each one of those properties, each asset is its own business. Yes. So learning how to run businesses more efficiently has been a big focus of mine in terms of what I what I listen to, what I watch from a podcast standpoint. In terms of reading, I have found that I much prefer reading an actual book than listening to an audiobook. I know it's maybe not the most like efficient way to do it. But I think the reality is if I'm listening to an audiobook while I'm doing something else, I'm probably not listening very closely. So if the book is really worth, I, I want to hold it and take notes and be able to read it again and again without having to figure out where in the audiobook I have to go back to a specific section. It, it, I've done both, works. but I learned that just ultimately works better for me to have the book in my hand. Who I'm paying attention, I already mentioned Cody Sanchez because she's in business. I also have been really heavy listening to the Hermoses, Alex and Layla for in, in their, I know they're a couple in there. They do a lot of this together, but talk about like people that have figured out their strengths and how to work their yeah. partnership together. Like it's really impressive to see he's very much about marketing and sales and does, does a great job with it. And there's a lot of really useful tips in his podcast and his social media. And then she, on the operational level, is yeah. like what she puts out is literally better than anyone else I've seen. And it's not even close. Like the stuff that she puts out tactically, how to handle difficult situations. How it's And they're both very candid as well and and honest. So it, it's just, it's pretty cool to, to listen to them. I, I haven't gotten the opportunity to see them in a live situation yet, but I would love to. But that's who I've been excited about lately. Yeah. Like I said, I'm trying to figure out business management, business scaling, and real estate's a part of that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's I'll, If I'm speaking in front of a crowd or I'm doing something, I'll ask, what kind of business do you think I'm in? What business do you think I'm in? The old Ray Kroc question, right? And the invariably, they say customer service or rental properties or real estate investing. They say the obvious things. And the fact is, we're in the, we're in the marketing business, right? And when Alex Formosi, I listen to Neil Patel every day. Right. And it's really about how can, and cause that's, that's my highest and best use is as a marketing guy here at the company. And, but it's interesting. And the fact is that operationally, I too listen to the Harmoses and Layla is someone that I admire greatly. It's interesting. I just discovered them like six, eight months ago. And yeah, I, me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, and I read hundred million dollar, hundred million dollar offers and got mm-hmm. sucked into their vortex of the community and I've been paying attention ever since, but yeah, the two things, the two levers that make it the easiest to succeed in our business are getting really good at at marketing, creating awareness of what you're doing and how you're doing it and why it's unique 
And then from an operational efficiency perspective, getting really good at lowering costs and slowly but surely increasing revenue. You do those three things, yeah. you're going to, you're going to do okay in this business. Yeah. Yeah. 100% agree. It's, you said it, it, we're all, we're in a marketing business, but I think that's absolutely true. And I think the reality is that every business is a people business. Despite yep. what you might think, every business is a people business and how you can interact well and, and work with others. And that's whether that's part, as we talked about partnerships, whether that's talking about employees, whether that's talk, whether that's you work for someone and it's your employer relationship, like all sure. of that stuff. If you can figure out how to be the person that people want to work with, you'll go far. It's, it sounds stupidly simple, but I, I honestly believe that's it. it but it's it just simple. be, be the person that people want to work with and yeah. it, you'll, that will, you will be successful if you can achieve that. Yeah. An old boss of mine, Rob Bernstein at Coupa Software told me once, he said, I, I look at the partnerships that we have and the people we employ as investments and there's got to be a return and it's bi-directional. They've got to get value out. It's a value exchange. They've got to get value out of it. We've got to get value out of it. And when that works, it works great. When it doesn't work, it's time to move yeah. forward and on. Yeah. Yeah. The, the bi-directional p- point of it is extremely important. I think my goal, my expectation of my businesses is that no one will ever leave because they don't like working for me. And I don't mean you have to like me, like we don't have to be friends. I mean, that you are in a working environment that that is good for you. And yeah. because I think that's how you get the, the most out of people and you don't have to worry about things like turnover and things like that. So I think it, it to me, it's extremely important to keep that in mind. It's somewhat comical to me when you hear about all the people complaining about how they can't hire good people and stuff. I'm like, you can, you so can, you can hire good people. You just have to pay them. You have to treat them well. That's it. And that's the difference. Yeah, it's interesting. You read our HR, it's like surveys of why people leave their jobs and money is almost never in the top three. Right. It's usually four or right. five on the list. And it's things like, I felt appreciated. I felt like I added value. Yep. My manager respected me, right? My The company mm-hmm. was committed to helping me grow, right? Those are the things that are important to, to humans, right? They want to contribute. They want to feel like they're adding to the greater good of whatever they're doing, but also they want to be recognized as, hey, I'm part of this. I'm helping here. And it's, yeah. amazing. I, it's I, I admire your position that you don't want anyone ever to leave because they didn't like, they didn't like working with you. They can leave for, if they can leave for other reasons, yeah. if it's to build their own business or it's because they have kids and want to stay home or they, right. whatever. And I'll be their biggest cheerleader. I, I don't, yeah, exactly. I will support you in that. I just don't want it. It shouldn't be because they were like, this guy yells at me all the time or what, you know, doesn't appreciate me or whatever the, whatever the case may be. It's just, as I said, just be the person that people want to work with and it'll serve you in really any capacity. Yeah. The flogging will begin, will continue until the, until morale improves. That's no good. So Jason, I'm really excited for you in terms of the grow, the launch of your fund. I'm really excited to hopefully, you know, maybe even play a role in being one of your investors at some point. And, and in terms of your overall business, I'm fascinated by the, by boring businesses part. So at some point you and I are, I'm going to, I'm going to buy you a virtual cup of yeah. coffee because you're in LA and I'm yeah. going to get, uh, I'd yeah. love to part too. Jason, thank you so much. If people want to get in touch with you or learn more about the fund or your business, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. Best way to reach me is general email, Jason at Lark Capital. That's the easiest thing you can 
go to my social media on Instagram. It's at Lark Capital, Jason Ballara on LinkedIn. Those are the easiest place. I'm on Facebook. I, I'll be honest, it's not my like most active spot. Yeah. We have a website, but I think really just email me. I, I'm happy to talk to people, happy to discuss what we're doing, discuss the fund if someone's interested. It's all, to me, these conversations are always interesting. I appreciate having them with you. I, I, uh, I'm from the Northeast, so I, I imagine next time I'm up there, we can meet up somewhere and have that coffee in person. So it'd, I'd love it'd that. Be great. And I've got family in Southern California. So if I'm heading out that way, I'll let Perfect. you know. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Hey, Jason, thank you so much. It's good to see you, my friend. And I wish you well with the launch and everything else. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, Ed. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. This has been the Real Estate Underground Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us grow. Until next time, happy investing.